of your eye, huddled in the darkest shadows of imagination, it waits. Now is the time to face the fear. Welcome to Horror Lasagna. Embrace the trepidation. So we're good. We're on season three, episode Indeed. three, The Hallow. The Hallow. Um, yeah, this is a, I don't want to make it sound, you know, more obscure or crazy than it is, but it just didn't get a whole lot in the way of press. Uh, this is one of those Ireland-UK film combinations. Yeah. Which we've released. watched a couple. We have. Um, released in 2015. I believe this one is also a British lottery deal. Yeah, I think that's what it said. Yeah. I kept, I kept wondering if on the other side of the Island, there's some people fighting alien grabbers. Uh, but you know, ironically they were filmed in close to the same location. Oh, uh, a, now they should do a crossover like alien versus predator, you know, get the, yeah. the hollow gremlins fighting the, uh, aliens and see what happens. Get them. Everybody. Yeah. Drunk. Um, Grabbers was filmed off the coast of Galway, um, and this film was filmed in um, County Galway, more inland, uh, near a place called Letterfrack, near the Connemara National Park. So, uh, yeah, that was really kind of just down the road from the last right. Irish-British movie <laughs> we did. <laughs> And it, it's interesting you say this one didn't get a lot of press and all that, because overall, this one felt like a typical standard horror movie that we'd see in the theaters here in the States. Yep. Uh, a, a lot of and the, the angles, the, the flow, everything about it you know, was a, a horror movie for uh, an American audience. It just struck me like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was... The first movie written and directed by a guy named Corin Hardy. Um, he's British director, writer. He began shooting in his youth on Super 8, just running around <laughs> with his friends. Some of the best um, did. Steven Spielberg yeah. did. Yeah. He was a, a big fan of Ray Harryhausen, and he would make monsters and special effects in his garage. So, And he made mention of that at the end. I saw it. Uh, part of the dedication was to Harryhausen. Yeah. Um, he's always been a big fan of Irish folklore and he decided to blend the two genres into one film. And this was his first major motion picture. And this led him to, uh, be able to land the nun. He, uh, directed the nun. Oh, wow. Wow. That's a much big, more mainstream. Yeah. But it's a big, different type of movie. Oh yeah. Wow. For sure. Um, he wanted to film in Ireland, uh, to get the authentic feel of, you know, where the thing was being based and he was going to do it on film, but budgetary constraints came up. So he ended up shooting it on an Alexa digital camera. It's just another 4k digital camera. So one that's uh pretty affordable for us. Even we've talked about yeah. that times. Yeah. Uh, La Casa Muda was shot on one of those, you know, a regular SLR digital camera. And um, you can see the progression in technology because the Casamuda had this specific feel about it when you looked at it because of the film quality. Right. 
and this just looked like film. Yeah, so, it did. Yeah. yeah. It's gotten better over the years, apparently. Yeah, well, you know, the stuff in Star Wars, the special effects, they're way better from the computers you and I are sitting at right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't have anything on his budgetary numbers. Uh, we don't know how much was budgeted for this film, but his box office take on this was about $14,000 in the U.S. and Canada. Um, and about $1.86 million worldwide. So, and, and I'm sure a lot of that was the effects because I didn't really see any computer graphics. It looked like it was pretty much all uh, real effects. Yeah, it looks like a lot of practical effects, a lot of black goo. <laughs> a lot of black goo, <laughs> and they they did the the creatures, but they never focused. I think that's a big error and mistake that a lot of the horror movies make. They do this creature, but then they focus on it and they leave the camera on it, and it sits there and looks at it. Yeah. And after about half a second, it's like, wow, that looks like a fake puppet. You know, he didn't really do that. They were in the dark. They shadows. They flashed little bits, so it really looked well. Yeah, it's it's a good strategy, especially when you're on running on a lower budget, um, because then you don't have to, you know, pay a special effects guy for 18 hours to build some latex monster. It only has to look good enough for a quick camera flash. So, right. um, it was nominated for 19 different awards, and it won 12. Oh, oh nice! I I can see that. Yeah, uh, it won five at Scream Fest and three at the Toronto After Dark Festival. Um, and it ran the film festival circuit, which is one of those reasons why, you know, it, it's like kind of critically acclaimed, but it made no money because it never did actually end up in a theater anywhere. So, oh, okay. That's why I'd never heard of this one at all. Yep. Um, Hardy was a fan of game of Thrones actor, uh, Joseph Molly, and he wrote the character of Adam in this movie specifically for that actor. Um, Molly had been in 57 different productions, including the 1998 version of Merlin, uh, which uh, Price is a big fan of the the series, as well as the 2009 version. um, And also Abe Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, uh, Sensate, Game of Thrones, and he'll be on the upcoming uh, Lord of the Rings series, the Rings of Power. Nice. So he's in that too. But, you know, it worked out for, well, I don't know. don't want to say it worked out for him. I don't know what he got paid for this film, but Corin Hardy became a big fan. And so the movie was kind of written for him. That's pretty cool. Cause when you get that specific actor, you make the part fit it and usually better. Uh, it comes across better. It's interesting to me because typically when you have somebody who like really digs an actor working with them, you'll put them in future stuff. And like this guy wasn't in the nun. Huh? Yeah, you know what okay. I mean. Yeah, I like you. Well, thanks. Talk to you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bojana Novak Nov, uh, Novakovic played his wife, Clara. Not a very Irish name there, Novakovic. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, she's been in forty-six different productions, including she was in Drag Me to Hell, uh, yeah. Sam Raimi classic. Um, Devil, which if you haven't seen that, maybe we'll put that on a list. That is, no, a, I haven't seen that. It's a very cleverly done film. Uh, she was in Shameless, uh, Westworld, I, Tanya, uh, Malicious, Birds of Prey, and uh, the 2021 version of MacGyver. So oh, wow. she's been around 
to a lot of pretty mainstream stuff. Um, Michael McElliton plays Colm Donnelly. He's been in 92 films, uh, Masterpiece Mystery, Assassin's Black Creed. He did a voiceover. He was also in Game of Thrones. The Autopsy of Jane Doe, another good one that's a, you know, a possible future season. Uh, Final Fantasy fourteen. he did voiceover there. He was in Monster and J- Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League. Oh, wow. Uh, Michael Smiley plays Garda Davy. He's been 109 productions. This is the guy, when you look at him, if you've seen like any kind of British movies, you're like, oh yeah, I've seen this guy before. <laughs> uh, includes Shaun of the Dead, Bleak House, Kill List, Black Mirror, A Field in England, The World's End, Doctor Who, The Lobster, Rogue One, and he was in The Nun. So apparently um, <laughs> the director enjoyed him enough. <laughs> Uh, the baby in the film was actually a set of twins, and uh, they also had animatronics that they would use as stand-ins for when I, things I, were like. Yeah, I figured a couple times. I'm like, wow, some mother's sitting off set going, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, most of the shots with the baby were shot on green screen. Okay. And uh, stuff was dropped in behind him. Okay, so uh, there was a little bit of computer stuff in there, but it, it's not really noticeable. Yeah, it's very uh, tastefully done. Yeah, kind of like when we talked about Krampus, where the, it was the buildings, not the the gnomes and Krampus himself. Right. Yeah, that was all practical effects, and then the, the uh, yeah, the breath and stuff like that. Right. Um, Hardy has this theory about using good fear and bad fear for making a movie. And um, his it's his concept is basically like you have good fear that you want to use when you're using a horror movie where the actors are kind of on the edge of their seats. They're on their toes because they're not exactly sure what the director is going to do next. Um, and then his he likes to have that level high. And then the bad fear level is when the actors are scared to do something because they're either scared of what it's going to make them look like or a physical, you know, physical fears about what the stunt they're about to pull off. And so he likes to keep the bad fear levels low and the good fear levels high. Um, Not that that's necessarily unique to him, but he's the first person I ever found who in an interview actually defined it like that. Right. Yeah. That's interesting to say that. Yeah. Um, it's not a big thinker of a film. This is, this is not martyrs where you're going to sit there afterwards and start contemplating, you know, the essential necessities of the afterlife and humanity. No, this which is again just, is, is why I you know, felt, oh, this is like a U.S. Hollywood uh, movie. It's got monsters and it followed the legend and lore pretty close from what I know mm-hmm. of it with the, the, the changelings and stuff. Um, I, I, you know, the way he made them look isn't how I imagined, but it, you know, you can't make them look like cute little gnomes. So it, it's, it's a really interesting take on the concept. Yes, there's it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's just a nicely done spooky folk horror film or fairy tale horror film. Um, it's also one of those 90 minute films. It's 97 minutes to be exact. So it's not too long. It's not too short. Right. It's a good kind of sit down date night kind of horror movie. Really? Yeah. Yeah. This, you know, this is definitely one of, you know, people who watch horror movies in October, 
this would probably be one of the top choices out of the three seasons so far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Hallow has like two different meanings. The first would be like uh, an opening in a thickly, densely wooded area. And the other is to honor as holy or a saint or holy person. And so this is one of those cases where they're going to use this in the title. And you come across this sometimes in horror movies where you have both definitions happening at the same time. Yeah. And that's a good, good choice of words. It does fit very well, depending on which viewpoint you're looking at it from too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also this, it starts off with a quote, um, just white copy on screen. It says, hallow be their name and blessed be their claim. If you who trespass put down roots, then hallow be your name. And um, a lot of times in horror movies, they'll start with some quote or they'll start with some snippet about this is based on a true story or, you know, this and that. 90% of the time, all of that stuff is just crap. <laughs> just stuff they put at the start to, like, get you into it. This really awkwardly done poem is actually legitimate. Um, <laughs> it's probably translated, which may be part of the awkwardness. Yes, it is from the Libor Gala Erin, uh, the Book of Invasions. And it talks, it was written anonymously in the 11th century in Ireland. And it talks about the six races who settled Ireland. And it does it in poetry and prose. Um, and it's not. I don't want to say it's not historical, but it's kind of like the mythology of the six different races that came through Ireland. And there's like historic precedents for a lot of these, right? But, you know, it's the whole, uh, you had, I can't even remember them all, but basically like you had these things of chaos first, and then you had Lords of Order, and then you had these, um, uh, fairies that came in and then you had man who moved in and then you had like the Irish who moved in and you know so it's this great big long kind of mythology written from the 11th century that's they're actually referencing yeah I like that and Dean Koontz does that a lot he has his book of counted sorrows that he quotes quite often in many of his different books kind of ties them together with that yeah yeah um the movie starts with that copy with that little po- piece of poetry from the liberal gallon Aaron. And then there's an opening shot of a primeval forest set to some creepy music. And then the title card, it's just a very simple yeah. opening. No, somebody running through the woods being chased by an ax or anything like that. Just <laughs> atmospheric. Here we are. The, the, yeah. It's funny you say it that way because you know, you always get those prequels like, Oh my gosh, there's a killer. Well, of course, you came to see a killer movie. This yeah. one is there's a forest. Okay, what's kind of creepy about that? You know, but yeah. on the radio is the the rally going on and the, the free our trees and all of that. You know, even the little things like that thrown in there. Uh, yeah, that, it sets it up right there. Um, and I I did like that um, the music you mentioned because I noticed throughout the whole thing they don't really do much music when it's normal. But when the, the the creatures are around and the horror parts are there, that's when the music kicks in pretty much yep. throughout the whole movie, too. Mm-hmm. So you start off with a little bit of music uh, and then it kind of disappears for a while. Yeah. 
the other thing you mentioned the radio and again um what was that one Ma- uh, mama where they used the radio to like lay in some discourse about the film right they did the, the same thing here um and the discourse here basically is telling you why um adam and his wife are moving into the area um all of ireland's forests are owned by ireland itself and there's a big move it's not unlike here in the states where there's this big push for uh oil companies to drill in public lands there's a big push to allow loggers to come in and cut in public forests um and so it's interesting to me how he introduces like a political topic but then never really goes into it he's not right. he's not moralizing here he's not telling you whether it's right or whether it's wrong he's just saying this is something that's happening right yeah touching upon it 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 really is a horror movie not so much a political statement yep 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 um so the credits are running over this shot of a ferry crossing the sea and our main characters are on board they're wistful they're excited Uh, and you you threw me off there when you said ferry (laughs) That was like, wait, forest fairies? No, wait, different fairies. Speaking of double meaning for the word. Right. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it melds into a shot of the family in their car driving inland, and we hear the radio program uh, discussing the fact that, you know, Ireland is selling off rights to uh, cut into their forests. And you can hear the sound of protests because, you know, anytime you have public lands that people are opening up for private industry, you can have public people complaining about it. So, yeah, um, it goes from there to the father, uh, Adam and his son walking through the woods, their dog, Steve. I know I, dog. the minute they hear coming up, what happens? <laughs> I'm like, well, I know what's going to happen to the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's with the dog and he's marking coal trees. And these are basically trees that, um, you know, we have, I, I manage our forest for timber with the state of Ohio and you'll have someone who comes out every seven years or so. And they mark the trees that are growing very well, but they interfere with the actual hardwoods you want. And those are coal trees. So they mark them with an X and you're supposed to cut those trees down. And when you cut them down, it opens up the forest canopy and lets more light into the more available, you know, the more desirable trees. And, and jumping on the dog for just a second. Yeah. That was a, uh, like border collie, which is a popular dog in Ireland, uh, for the sheep herding and other types of things. Um, so I, I just thought that was a good choice for a dog. Uh, for this yeah, movie. very smart dogs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had yeah. one, and she was very smart. Yep. Um, so he's walking through the forest with his son. He's marking call trees. Claire is back at their house. Uh, they have a cottage out there in the woods. It's actually bigger than a cottage. It's more like a manor. It's two stories. And she's pulling um, iron bars off the windows of their new two-story home. Adam's trying to get the dog to come back. Um the baby drops its pacifier into a creek. Um, and the focus on the pacifier. So, you know, that's going to come back. <laughs> right. And it's it seems like some passing thing where you don't even really kind of think about it. But he does take the time to actually focus the camera on it, letting you know yeah. this is an important little tidbit that just happened. And both of the what each of the parents is doing, I liked because 
she's pulling down these iron bars on this house and he's walking through the forest and Mark, you know, and looking at the blight he found. And the, this is one of the difference between some of the uh, American made horror and some of the other horror that we've watched. And I've noticed in other films, the Amer- if it would have been American made, they would have had a scene with them in the kitchen going, well, since I work for the forest company, I need to go do my job and go out and mark trees to cut down. And I'm going to go take down the iron slats because we're moving into this. You know, they have to like ex- He-Man explain it. I always use He-Man because there, there was, I, I remember seeing one scene of He-Man where he goes, I will now walk out the door. And I'm like, who the hell has to say that, you know? So that's you know, the difference you're watching it and like, well, why you have to think a little bit. It's not so passive, I guess you could say, uh, which I enjoy. I, I like it. That they don't treat the audience like they're complete idiots, uh, but you got to keep up. <laughs> I I'm with you 110%. It's, it's one of those kind of things where uh, the fact that he's marking trees um, and the fact that I know what he's doing is immaterial to the story. At some point in time, he has a conversation with someone where he's like, it's my job to be here. So you know that he's there. You know he's working with trees. The rest of it, you know, who knows? Right. But it's it's researched well enough that I can look at it, you know, working in forestry and be like, oh, okay, he's marking call trees. And, you know, the mom's at home. She's taking these bars down. Well, that makes all kinds of sense. Who wants to have big iron bars across their window? People who live in forests that are haunted by <laughs> mythological creatures might. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a good plan. Um, he's trying to get the dog to come back because he ran off. And I thought, oh, the dog's dead already. But no, no, not <laughs> Not quite that soon. Uh, He finds the dog and the dog has found the ruin of an old manor home. The dog keeps barking um, and Adam finds this dead animal in the ruin. I think it was a deer. Yeah, I think so. Um, He's inspecting the corpse and he finds this strange black fungus growing out of the body. And he, of course, like most plant guys, he takes a sample because. Well, yeah. Oh, look, there's a dead animal with some weird black fungus. Let me touch it. Well, at least he yeah. didn't lick it or anything, you know, so. <laughs> I, I was just listening to us talking about, um, oh, the space horror movie that we did the bonus episode on. Yeah, the Event Horizon. Event Horizon. And the guy finds the black goo and it's like, oh, I'm going to stick my hand in here. <laughs> yeah. It's... There's a you, Left for Dead. You've probably played that game on the Xbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the one a little video at the beginning where one of the zombies and uh, this guy touches it and the muscle guy goes, Oh, don't let that stop you from just smeared it all over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, back at the house, Claire sees someone pulling in. It's Mr. Donnelly and his son, and he's there to see Adam and Donnelly doesn't seem happy to hear that Adam's in the forest and if you're not paying attention, you could easily assume that this has something to do with the sale of the public lands. This guy has issue with the fact they're going to be cutting trees out of the forest. He's insistent that Adam comes and sees him tonight. Um, then he leaves and Adam comes home and basically says he doesn't want to talk to Calm. <laughs> so uh, it turns out they're both on the same side of the state sale, philosophically. Adam is not big on deforestation. Um, Colm doesn't want the trees cut down, but that's not why he was there to see him. Adam thinks Colm's problem is what he's there to do. And he relents to Claire that, okay, fine. He'll go talk to him. Oddly enough, Adam never really does. No. I mean, throughout the entire movie, he bumps into him at a hardware store, but he never actually goes over to talk to him. 
that evening, Adam is investigating what type of fungus he's found, and he's uh, marking the site location where he found it on a map. And Claire is upstairs feeding Finn the baby. He puts a sample on the slide, and he's watching it through a microscope as the fungal cell attacks another cell. Um, and like a virus, it takes the cell over. And the the part that I couldn't get past in this scene <laughs> is that when the fungus attacks the other cell, there's the sound of this squishing sound as it pierces <laughs> the other cell. And I'm like, microscopes don't work like that. <laughs> but, but maybe that was for our audience that wasn't paying attention and needs that audio cue. I oh, yeah. did I did like the effects though. I mean, the, the tentacles coming out, that was some of the best effects showing a contagion like that in any yeah. movie I've ever seen. And it was probably lower budget than most other movies. They do all these, you know, the, the merging cells and all this. And this was these awesome tentacles coming out and piercing it. I thought that was really cool. That was one of my favorite parts. The other thing that I really like about it is that, needle piercy thing that pierces the cell wall actually carries on to the larger yes. forms as, as this movie progresses. Um, in Finn's room, Claire has managed to get Finn down for the night. Um, and she discovers something black and slimy on the bedding. Of and course. Those, those of us who are in the woods, we know um, she discovers that it's dripping from the ceiling and she goes to tell Adam that it's leaking from the ceiling and sends Adam up to the attic to see if he can find where. Adam finds upstairs or heads upstairs and finds all kinds of stuff from the previous inhabitants, but he can't find a leak. So he heads back down, which let's be truthful here. Uh, it's a, it's a husband thing. When your wife sends you on an errand that you really don't want to do, you don't argue, but you kind of futz around for a minute and then say, no, I didn't see nothing. You walk back down. Right. He looks through the it. records. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was, another nice, that was another nice effect. When they showed that stuff on the, the beam as he was going back down, it moved just a little bit. And again, it wasn't completely in focus. It was dark, but it moved just a little bit. You heard the squishy sound that glistened. Uh, that's all you need sometimes. You don't need you know, some the big over you know budget stuff sometimes. That's, it's literally in my notes as he's heading downstairs, the focus <laughs> on the camera pushes and we see black fungus growing on one of the rafters. So Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, Claire's making dinner when Adam returns. Um, he's smoking weed and he's telling her he didn't find anything, which automatically should let her know he really wasn't looking. <laughs> um, he then begins this whole info dump on uh, cordyceps in ants, which, which is a fungus. Um, if you've ever played um, uh, The Last of Us, this is the whole theory behind The Last of Us. It's a fungus that infects an ant, um, and it takes over the ant's neural pathways and turns the ant to basically a zombie. Right. It leads the ant back into the nest so it can spread throughout the entire nest. Uh, he tells her he found some, and she tells him not to bring it in the house, which is, <laughs> at the end of the film, quite ironic. Yes. Um, she then figures that he already has. Um, so they start to make out and Finn stirs and the pasta needs drain. And then Finn really wakes up and something breaks glass and the door slams shut. Um, they run upstairs and find a broken window pan panel and Adam is convinced it's Colm and runs outside. Right. He didn't see anyone. So he calls the cops. 
and that and the music kicked in right there. There hadn't been any yep. real music until right then when the baby screamed. It, it, it's it's not subtle. It does kind of burst in, but you're so caught up in what's going on, you don't notice it right don't away. Don't notice it. Yep. Helps set the mood uh, a lot. Though. It does. The Garda come out and they kind of blow the whole thing over. Uh, Claire mentions how poorly received they've been in the community. And the officer says, you know, people have certain beliefs. And then he starts talking about the hallow. And this is an info dump on the hallow. Which he is them, which is a really, I mean, you know, it happens all the time in these movies. You, you have to have that one townsperson telling the whole history to get it all out. Uh, but I, actually, with everything else they had done, I was almost surprised that uh, they did this. Uh, I, I would have guessed that it would have pieced together a little bit here and there, but they kind of just dumped it all out. The cop was done. He moves on. Uh, so yeah, not a bad choice. I just was hoping for a little more, I guess. Yeah, no, I agree with you. On the one hand, the 97 minute length is perfect. Yes. On the other hand, I would have easily accepted another five to 10 minutes if they wouldn't have just dumped all of the hallow out into this one conversation. Right. But again, you know, we're not filmmakers, first of all, you know, it's like, we're not attorneys, um, but it, it, <laughs> you got to balance, on balance that too. You know, that extra 10 minutes, would it been too much and people would have gotten bored and whatever. So I, I understand yeah. the choices. Uh, yep. But, and you get it a lot. So it's not like uh, this made the movie worse. Oh, and budget's always a thing too, you know? I mean, it could have just been, they might've just been priced out. The most important thing to me, because him talking about, you know, the hallow and the wee people and the fact that everyone around here believes that there are actually fairies living in the wood and they leave stuff out for them and treat them respectfully. I kind of was inferring that um, throughout. Right. The one piece of useful information that came out of the conversation was that Colm Connolly had lost a daughter in the woods yes. and he believed that the little people took her. Yes. And so that's an important piece of information that came out of the whole conversation. And, and, and to be truthful, you know, we kind of had an idea of the story and mythology and all that. There's a lot of people that don't, you know, so you need that in there to make sense for uh, some people. Yeah. Um, Claire cut her feet on broken glass, so Adam's bandaging them up. He tells her to go to sleep, and he heads outside to take some pictures for evidence. Um, he is using the world's biggest, slowest flash ever. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. If it's going to give up that much light, it's going to take a long time to charge, I guess. But uh, um, he's taking shots outside of the house, and here's a branch snap. And turning, he uses the camera to snap a picture in the darkness. And there's this glimpse of a golem-like man crouching in the foliage. Um, the dog's growling, looking off towards some outbuildings, and Adam goes to investigate. When he gets there, he hears what sounds like a baby crying. He heads into the shed, and he's looking around, and we hear thunder start to roll in. He closes the door and heads back to the house as he's walking away. The door creaks back open and we hear that baby crying sound again. Yeah. And he ties the dog up there and I'm like, oh man, you kidding me? <laughs> and the dog up right there. Oh, I heard something. So let me tie the dog up right there. But the, right. Uh, the, the baby crying, that's a very common thing for the changeling snatching. Uh, mm -hmm. They lure people into the woods. Um, it also comes up uh, with the Wendigos. If you look into the Wendigos, they do same type of imitation to <laughs> lure people around. But yeah, it, it, the minute I heard the baby crying, I was like, aha, changelings, there we go. So, yep. 
Um, he wakes up on the couch. Claire tells him it's noon. Um, so he heads out. Yeah, he heads out to get some stuff to fix a broken window, and takes Finn with him, and they head into town. The two of them. Um, at home, Claire's sweeping up glass. The dog sitting on the dog bed, and she's changing the baby's bedding. She finds that slimy, amorphous mass amongst the sheets, and she just kind of sweeps it into a trash can. The dog has gone out outside and wanders off into the wild. It, it, this is this movie had a whole lot of the dog's going to die now. <laughs> oh, the dog's going to die now, and the dog just keeps hanging on. Well, you know, I was kind of waiting for the dog to have sex and then get killed. You know, <laughs> or open a beer. Yeah, you know, something like that. <laughs> um, Adam arrives in town and gets a stink eye from a bunch of young hooligans. Um, he and Finn head into the hardware store and a guy comes out to look at the glass. And the guy's like, if you trespass against them, they trespass against you. And Adam, again, assumes improperly that he's the guy's talking about people's property. Um but then he adds, if your wife doesn't put the iron back up, there's really no point. And he's so you, referencing. Go ahead. Go ahead. He, he's referencing this, uh, the cold wrought iron myth, which dates back to the 1600s. Even Pliny the Elder in 79 AD uh, used iron to treat illness. So it's always been used as a ward against the supernatural. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the townspeople are watching them too. You got that whole distinct feeling Donnelly and the shopkeeper here says stuff. And I'm going like, okay, wait a second. This guy just moved in. You guys are helping him by giving him cryptic messages about ancient mythologies. And then you stop. That's all you're doing. That's not really helping him. <laughs> yeah. You, you might want to help and do a little more. Well, it always it was always interesting dynamic to me. And I don't know that I know of anyone who actually does, but there are people in the United States who live right on the edge of a national forest. Yeah. Um, and hikers and visitors and things can be walking right through what looks like their backyard, but it's actually still part of the national forest. Right. Um, and this was kind of the same way where I can see where he would assume these people think that he's trespassing and technically he's not because he's still on, you know, the government land. Right. He's getting close to their house. But, but I've always... talk, when they talk about trespassing though, it's not the townspeople that he's trespassing right. against. So it's our culture clash. Right. Um, Claire is hanging laundry in the kitchen. Um, and as she's pulling it up, uh, so she's hanging it on a low line and then she hot pulls it up to the ceiling. Which I thought was a pulls- great idea. I'm like, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as she's pulling it up, Colm is revealed in the background. <laughs> Where the hell's the dog now? Um, he's telling her she didn't listen and asks her if she thinks he's crazy. Then he reaches into his pocket and pulls out what has to be this crazy expensive antique book, sets it on the table and leaves. And it seems to be bound in some kind of leather looking Vaguely like the Necronomicon or something. Right. Like that. Yeah. So because acting crazy, talking crazy, and leaving some weird ancient book is going to convince them. <laughs> Good yes. plan. Adam's driving home. Finn drops a toy. I don't know how many parents have put up with this where the kid <laughs> drops a toy and won't has a fit. Adam reaches around to pick it up and he almost hits Colm, who appears to be crossing the road with a shotgun. Then he just drives off, 
still doesn't take the time to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, as his vehicle enters the forest, uh, the tape player in his car eats the tape it was playing. Um, and really interesting in 2015, someone was driving around in a car listening to a tape. But I thought, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not even a CD player. Right. Um, then something happens to the transmission, the entire car just in general, and it he loses control, manages to get it stopped, but then it won't stop again. Start that's again. A, that's a very, uh, Mulder would understand that. I mean, they're so, they're, the very first episode of X-Files, their car loses power and he marks yeah. the road. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he opens the hood and discovers black slime all over the engine block. Uh, as he's looking, he's hearing noises in the woods. He opens the trunk and is reaching in to grab something and something pushes him into the trunk and closes the lid. Uh, he's now locked in the trunk. Sometime later, because it's yeah, kind of dark out. He gets knocked out. It's like, well, did they hit him over the head first? That was a little confusing, but. Right. Um, he's in there. The baby starts to cry, and you hear these monstery noises outside, like claws on metal. Uh, he finds a tool and just basically digs his way through the back seat. <laughs> yeah. Which, if you're ever locked in your trunk, I guess most of them now have a release. Right, yeah, you're supposed to. What that yeah. kind of shows that maybe that he's playing a tape because that's the only vehicle that they had. So, yeah, could be. Um, he digs his way through the seat. Um, he crawls out and finds black slime all over the place. He grabs Finn, gets out of the car, only to find the driver's side as what looks like three talon claw marks and some slime that run the entire length of the vehicle. He hears a dog barking off in the distance, and armed with a flashlight and his baby, he runs back to his house. So at this point, you, you know, you found the slime, the car got attacked, uh, you know, I, I'd be thinking about, you know, going into town in a hotel or moving out or something. I mean, at this point, take the hint, folks. Yeah. It, it, like the whole animal horror thing, right? Right. Well, but Get he was getting out. possessed. So, you know, he wasn't making rational decisions. Adam's still completely in control at this point. Yes, he is. Um, Claire, when he gets back to the house, Claire asks where he's been and says that Colm was in the house. He tells her to call the police and grabs a shotgun and some shells. And he says it's just until the police arrive. But he loads the gun anyways. And then the power's cut. He heads downstairs and tells Claire to stay in the room and lock the door. Uh, and you can hear what sounds like someone ripping open the kitchen. He yells out that the police are coming. And he calls out to Colm and says, whatever happened to your daughter has nothing to do with us. Um, he opens the door, not quite far enough, and shoots at some moving shadow. And it just blasts a hole in his door. But the kitchen is trashed. Claire comes downstairs and he's pissed because he's sure that it's Colm. And he's cleaning up a bit and he finds the book that Colm brought. And Claire lets him know where the book came from. Yeah. Once he opens the book. Um, so, you know, being a designer and, you know, having art history background, this part disturbed me a bit because the book is not some original ancient text. It's lithographs of pagers of illuminated manuscripts and woodcuts. It's a really odd compilation of things from multiple eras, all crammed into some leather bound cover. It makes no sense. 
from well, a book construction standpoint. <laughs> Maybe it was like a journal compiled over years, you know, various people putting it together. Perhaps, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but it does, it looks like it was merch almost. <laughs> Um, well, maybe we can order a copy. You know that that would cool. be super cool if you could. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm here. I'm like the art and copy pages are not even from the same period. <laughs> I um, don't have any computers to complain about in this one. So it's your that's turn. Right. Yeah. Uh, Claire says they need to leave now. Adam loads up the gun and they head out on foot. Once they get outside, they hear the dog barking in the distance and start to call for him. They find him in the shed with a chunk of slimy stuff in his mouth. Uh, Adam does a check on the dog and notes that he doesn't really look that good. No, but poor dog. He's good enough to keep moving. So on the way, the dog starts barking at something in the distance and then takes off for it. There's sounds of the dog fighting, and then there's that canned hurt dog squeal. And um, Adam shoots in that general direction, apparently not caring if he hits the dog, I guess. But he just lets a round fly. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe maybe if the dog, you know, take him out before he suffers too much. Nope. Oh, there you go. That. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but but you gotta give the dog credit, man. I'm assuming that chunk in his mouth was because he attacked whatever it was protecting him. So yeah, yeah, good dog. A lot a lot better than a lot of the dogs who die in these movies who get blown up by landmines or eaten by space aliens. This one <laughs> yeah. actually. Did some damage. Did his job before going out. Yeah. Uh, They get to the car and they open the hood to find what was a little slime on the engine block is now this giant, massive organic tissue. That's pretty disgusting Uh, looking. Yeah. Claire gets in the car and he starts to pull a bunch of this stuff out and has Claire try to start it. And it doesn't work. She sees something or someone behind the car that keeps getting closer. Um, And then she sees two and then a bunch. (laughs) And it vaguely reminded me of um, attack the block when the girl's in the police car and she looks in the rear view mirror and sees the alien. It's a common Uh, thing. Somebody's trying to do something and the the monsters are creeping up and somebody else sees them. And is, you know, that's a nice common thing. It does have some good suspense in this one, because again, they don't focus on the monsters. You see them in flashes and stuff. Yep. then the car, which would never, ever actually happen, uh, manages to start. <laughs> if you if you open your car and there's black slime all over the place, removing the slime is not necessarily going to just suddenly make your car magically begin. Right. Um, but the car starts, Adam closes the hood, and when he does, you can see that the car is completely surrounded by these things. Uh, Claire starts to drive off, and she's doing a decent job of trying to get back on the road. And she does. Then the things start to launch these slime balls at the car, breaking windows and things. Um, And then this girl in a dress shows up in the headlights and Adam pulls the wheel to miss her. And we get a good but brief reveal of the creature. You can see it's really not a girl. I'm sure this is a reference to Calm's daughter. This is what remains of Calm's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. That causes the car to slide out of control and into a ditch. The funny thing to me about this movie, just in general, is how many times it feels like they're in the middle of nowhere, 
but they always manage to get back to the house. Yeah. And they show the big, the, the like more or whatever at one point where she's on. And it's like, man, you guys are like miles away, but Hey, we'll just cross every field and forest. Yeah. Fine to get back to the house. Cause that's where they'll yeah. get us. <laughs> um, Adam grabs Finn as Claire sees creatures all around and they start running off to get back to the house. Adam's trying to, rationalize what he's seen and Claire shuts him down just saying they're real and pointing out they both saw the same thing. He heads over to the door and he's peering out into the darkness through a keyhole and a needle shaped thing pokes through the crack and directly into his left eye. Yep. Flashbacks to earlier. Yes. There's that, there's that right. The things are trying to get in, and we get this sh- uh, long shot of slime dripping through the keyhole. He heads over and shines his light out the doorway, and we get another quick but good look at the creatures outside just before he pulls the door shut. Um, and this is one of the things, after watching so many horror movies, this is one of those things that I started doing. I'd watch the movie, then I'd go back to the scenes and I'd pause it and like frame advance it so I could actually see the creatures, you know for that one brief second that they were there very clearly. Um, He and the family head upstairs and he sends Claire and Finn up into the attic and he's going to head outside. Good idea. And uh, start up a generator claiming that light hurt seems to hurt them. Um, And it's also amazing to me how all of these movies seem to have a pull generator, you know, right (laughs) next to the house. You have one outside your house, Steve. Um, no, but actually I almost just bought one recently. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have one either. My neighbor across the street's got one, but I don't. Um, so I guess if my house gets attacked by fungal fairies, I'm out of luck. They'll never make a video game out of you because you got to have that mission to go start the the generator. Start the generator. Claire manages to get the baby into the attic where, um, it seems to settle down and Adam makes it out to the shed. And there's this nice, long, atmospheric shot to the house. And it bounces back and forth between the couple in the edit, between Adam and Claire, Adam and Claire. Um, Adam opens a fuse box and finds it's all full of slime. Uh, the door to the attic is seemingly rotting away right in front of Claire's eyes. Which is a and really she, great effect. I, I really yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, she uses the baby monitor to let Adam know, but she really doesn't tell him anything. So he just keeps going. He's trying to get the power on. This claw breaks through the attic door and things start punching holes in the roof. I mean, the damage to this house is already astronomical. (laughs) Adam's trying to get the generator started. The thing in his eye just suddenly seems to take him out. He's like having these convulsions, this pain in his eye. And then this hand is reaching in. It's got a needle. It's trying to poke Claire's eye. Just before it does, the generator starts up. Lights come on and scare the things away. A nice tension-filled kind of scene right there. Yes. Once the lights are back on, we see that the lights are affecting Adam, too. Uh, He sees the iron window bars and reaches out to grab one, only to find that it burns his skin. Poor Adam. That's what you get for not taking care of the dog better. Yes, that's right. This is your punishment. <laughs> like some old vampire tale, he is actually turning into a fae. Hello? You, you dropped for a second. I did, but okay. I'm, I'm back. Okay. 
Go on. Uh, Claire and Finn exit the attic, and Adam collects as much iron into a wheelbarrow as he can before he stumbles into a bathroom with a mirror to watch his own gradual transformation. Uh, he starts to bandage himself up, coming back into the kitchen looking uh, like some sort of makeshift pirate. And then the couple start to hang iron bars and any other iron thing they can across the windows. Yeah, the pots, the pans, the, the poker from the fireplace. Yeah, that was pretty good. There's a nice little jump scare in there where something tries to come through and then it recoils. So it it like serves as a jump scare and to prove that what they're doing is actually effective. So Adam puts Finn in a closet with a baby monitor um, saying that the generator will die, but he'll be safer in there than with Adam and Claire. Which was like the worst decision of the movie. I'm just going to chalk that one up to the things affecting his brain. I'm like, really? Let's put them in there out of sight when we know they're getting through the wood and everything else. Come on. <laughs> the thing affecting his brain is actually a great theory I never thought of. It might have very well been the the fungus telling him to do that. Because huh. it made absolutely no sense. And the only iron was like two million things put you know, around the lock. Forget all the like really thin wood right around yeah. it. We'll keep them out. <laughs> um, Adam is now pouring over this book. He's decided my house is being attacked by fairies. I'm going to sit down and read. <laughs> yeah, get a good book. Um, maybe it's supposed to be the book of invasions, but again, annoyingly, some of the pages have copy and food work, which is, you know, not anything like ancient Gaelic. So I don't know what the, you know, what the hell they're <laughs> doing there, but, um, Claire knows something is up with Adam and she really wants to check on Finn. So she sneakily opens the cupboard only to discover that the wall is hollowed out. And one of the, she has him, one of the fairies has him. Um, Adam takes off after it and follows it to the attic where they attack him through the roof, taking him out. And he's lying on the floor and Claire heads out after the fairy and Finn. Yeah. Um, and so like the walls of this place are just utterly laced with this fungus. And I think it was like that from the minute they moved in. I think it, this stuff's been there for a while. Well, or has it or taking down the bars. Cause the bars, they, you know, pretty much said kept them away, which I didn't quite understand because, okay, the bars are over the windows, but the roof and stuff that they're coming yeah. through now didn't have any. So, it, it, you know, I don't know. It's it's vaguely problematic in that, like, any construction is going to have iron nails, like, all throughout everything. So yeah. it would be really hard to, like, slide through the wall and not make contact with that stuff. Right. Now we're getting way off the rails. Too literal. <laughs> it's a horror movie. Get, get That's right. It. <laughs> uh, Adam does come to, and he manages to get himself to his feet. Claire is wandering through the forest using the baby monitor to try and track her baby. And Adam can feel himself succumbing to this infection. So he puts a splint on his leg. So he's at least mobile. Yeah. His leg seems to be broken. Yeah. We'll just you know, splint it. I, I failed to mention that, but he's going to splint it and walk on it and it'll be just fine. Just fine. Um, on it. <laughs> Claire sees something floating out on the surface of a pond and dives in after it, coming up with a baby shaped bundle. Um, so she takes Finn air quotes here back to the house and finds Adam sitting on the floor. She doesn't seem to trust him anymore. He wants to see Finn. So she hands him to him. 
and tells him he needs to be dried and changed. Adam believes it's a changeling. Um, and at this point, we're not exactly sure right. if he's right or not. And we don't know whether to trust Adam or not, whether he's telling the truth for other means. Yeah. So I like that, you know, that uncertainty. Yeah. And the way they shot it adds to it. There's this yeah. kind of like uncertainness to the camera movements and things makes the whole thing. Seem- Adam's eyes and things look different. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Claire tries to get uh, Finn back. There's a scuffle. He knocks her down. Then he grabs a piece of iron and threatens to touch Finn with it unless it shows itself. Um, He touches it on the forehead and it looks to him like a fae. And then Claire plunges an iron spike into his shoulder, grabs the camera and the baby and takes off. Yeah. Um, And really, well, okay. You think your son's insane. You think your husband's insane. But it really wouldn't hurt to just put a piece of iron, you know, next <laughs> to the baby's cheek. That's not just to see. Yeah. Uh, he limps out after her. Uh, she locks herself in the shed with the baby, and she's looking around for something to use as a weapon. Maybe, maybe that's what she's doing. Adam's standing outside, telling her it's not Finn. He points out that uh, they want the whole family, so he breaks in, and she threatens him with a scythe. That's a legitimate thing to be threatened with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you might he, get tetanus. You got to watch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he collapses on the floor and spores start to erupt from his face. Um, she grabs the camera and manages to get away from him and runs off into the night. Adam continues this kind of metamorphosis um, and the even seems to kind of embrace it. He yeah. stands erect. He turns to this. He turns this scythe into kind of a torch and walks off into the night after Claire and Finn, or not Finn, whatever, right. whatever so, she's carrying with her. So two things there. One, uh, he kind of reminded me of uh, the big bad from Resident Evil 3 that morphed into the whatever creature. Um, but the, the the video game, not the movies. Um, yeah. But why is Firelight okay light, whereas other light is not okay light? I didn't get that. Hmm. <laughs> That's a really good point. Well, when he actually does confront them with it, they recoil from it. Yeah. But so maybe but he, it's not okay. He, well, he recoiled from the light coming through and hitting his yeah. skin at one point. So uh, I didn't quite get that other than, well, we just want it to look cool. So <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Resident Evil 3 because for me, the scene has vague um, feelings of what's his name? Jack Torrance in The Shining. Yeah, yeah. When Jack very... Nicholson starts to wander off through the house looking for, it, it kind of had that kind of feeling to me. Just with more monstrous looking special effects. Yeah. Um, he follows the sign, follows the sounds of the crying child out into the dark, and he comes to that abandoned structure he had found earlier. Heads down in the basement, which is full of fungus everywhere. Um, finds the remains of his dog and a few more beasts. And just then it cuts away to Claire running across the field. But the worst part, the dog wasn't dead. It was slowly being consumed. Come on. You're going to kill the dog, kill the dog. Don't make them suffer more. (laughs) Um, We go back to the lair and we see several more of these creatures. Adam is holding them at bay with the flaming scythe. So um, 
apparently either the fire or the light from it is enough to keep them at a distance. Claire makes it to the house. To a house, not to her house. Um, She's beating on the door asking for help, only to be greeted by Colm with a shotgun, and he tells her to get away. He can't help. They took Cora, his daughter, and there's nothing they could do about that. He tells her to go before she brings the beasts to his house. And she heads off, and we see that Colm has a whole lot of dogs. And lights. It's way lit up. It's like a football <laughs> stadium. <laughs> yep. Um, back in the lair, we see this thing that used to be Cora, and it's holding a baby. Adam recognizes her as Cora, and she is holding the pacifier that Finn dropped earlier on in the film. That damn pacifier. Yep, and apparently they needed it to make the make the changeling from maybe the little bit of saliva or something. Yeah, on it. something. There's a lot of these monsters in here. Um, he secures his grip on the scythe. She shrieks at him, and he swings at her. And we cut away, so we don't actually know the result of that battle. Um, but Claire is alone in the woods. She's using the camera flash like some kind of gun. There's that old camera flash trope. Yeah. And she's walking backwards. There's the walking backwards trope. Um and it feels like the battery and the flash is about to die, and she manages to squeeze off a few more shots, and it's just evident there's too many of them, but she backs herself off of a small cliff and falls all the way down. Yeah. Now there was something I thought I saw and had to look. The one perched in the tree looked like it reached down and spiked the baby's head. Oh, now I did not think it spiked its head. I think it just reached down and got close. It, it, it was hard to tell. That's why it was like, but I was like, okay, if this really is the changeling, why would it need to do that? That's so a really good point. I, I was, you know, just wondering what that was. Maybe it was some thought they had and left that scene in, even though things changed. Maybe it really was just grabbing for it. It just kind of looked like that. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Or the fungus is really advanced and it was a fake out to make her think she was holding the actual baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, she gets her bearings lying at the bottom of this little cliff and we see this creature's coming for her. She's aiming with the flash. It's not working anymore. And then she hears Adam say, Claire, and he's standing there holding the real fin. Um, the creatures try and approach him and he squawks at them with his certainly not human sounding noise and they retreat. Hollow scream. Yes. He tells her to take Finn and leave the changeling. And he's becoming more animalistic and violent. Uh, He kills two of them with the scythe as they approach him. He turns to address Claire and one comes up from behind and kills him. And Claire is trying to decide between the two and she takes the real Finn and runs through the forest just as the sun comes up. Now, my whole thing is, well, I don't know why she labored over it. She could just take both, you know? I was going to say, there's stories about raising the changeling child along with yours. I know there's some of that and, you know, the, the omen thing, one turns evil and stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, that was my same thought, too. <laughs> but, but yeah. you know, also, would they then have kept pursuing her? You know, it, it, you know, if she had the changeling baby, but probably not because that's the whole reason they give them the changeling baby is so they, yeah, I don't know. take them it, into. There's multiple things that could have been the reason for that, I guess. Yeah, um, 
as she's running away, the sunlight comes up. It chases creatures away. Adam's not quite dead, and he watches the changelings start to smolder and melt. Yep. So, uh, so that would have answered it for her pretty quickly. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Um, it does so pretty silently, kind of boiling up until it erupts into this pile of spores, and then Adam dies. Pretty gruesome. Yeah. Claire's walking back across the field, back to her house, which is covered in black spores. Because that's where you would go. Let's go back to the house. Yeah. Uh, she has some flashbacks to her previously happy life and cries on the floor with her baby, telling him how he's so beautiful. Um, the book is on the floor and the wind turns the pages to one where you see a mother and a child and a fae figure, almost like their family. Exactly. Like you, can, you can have this family. And I and was that, wondering, what was the meaning of that? Was it, uh, this is how the family would be or should be, or this is what you really had? You know, the, it's a little open to interpretation from that picture. It is, but it's interesting that they chose to end on that. Yeah. Um, so you sit there and you, you kind of mull over, you know, what was the point of that picture at the end? The credits play and you start to see the inevitable deforestation that takes place when forests aren't federally protected anymore. And the credits are playing over as the trucks pull away. Um, and you have evidence as the trucks pull away that there's this black fungus still viable and growing on the wood as they're driving away. And then there's this little jump scare of one of the creatures at the end. Um, and it's one of those rare occasions where like the post credit tag ending has important story information in it, right? Yeah, yeah. It almost never happens. La Casa Muda uh, had the whole like truth about the girl at the end that happened after the credits. Uh, Martyrs had the scenes of the happy girls, you know, before life turned to crap. And then here you've got, oh, hey, this thing's spreading now. Right. And they have a little, I, I like how they have the music style, all the sounds of the logging. And then when they get to mostly just forest in the frame, you hear some of the creatures and the movement. So, you know, they're not happy and you know, some shit's still going to go down. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're still spreading and, and, you know, not, not happy creatures at all. It, this could have very easily gone on to be a second movie. If like the budget had been there. And the reception had been there, yeah. You know, start to build houses with this wood, you know, and then see what happens. Yeah, I would also be remiss if I didn't point out there is a big budget American film from 2009. Um, so it predates this by six years. It's called uh, The New Daughter, and it stars uh, Kevin Costner and uh -oh. Ivana Baquero, who was the little girl from Pan's Labyrinth. And it ran an hour and 48 minutes and it had that same similar kind of feeling because you had uh, these strange natural forces um, in this case, kind of like ant things that like kidnap the daughter and he has to go rescue her. Um, it wasn't done nearly as well. And I think I glitched and lost you. And I should be back now. Unless we don't recover. Let me look at my Facebook thing. Oh, there we go. Oh, there you are. All right. So you were saying the 2009 episode. Yeah, it's uh, uh, called The New Daughter. It stars Kevin Costner and Ivana Bequero, who's the little girl from Pan's Labyrinth. 
Oh, cool. And it has the same kind of feel where you have this uh, dad and his daughter living in this house on the edge of the forest that's kind of mysterious. And there are these like ant-like creatures that kidnap his daughter and take them back to the nest. And he has to go go in and save her. It, it kind of had the same kind of feel and the same kind of tonality. It wasn't done nearly as well. And it was also like an hour and 48 minutes. It was just too long of a film. But it is kind of the same kind of kernel of story that yeah. makes me wonder if it was actually an influence Could on been. the director it, when he there's also a seventies movie called the changeling um, with that's also on, on a future list. That is one of uh, my absolute like top 10 horror movies. Well, we'll have to make sure and get that one in there. I was going to say, if you have not seen that one, then we'll put it on a list for sure. It, um, I think right now it's on the list with movies that have famous people you didn't know were in it. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, I love that movie. And but, they did uh, a remake of it too sometime, I thought. I think remake everything. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. We've watched a few. Yes, <laughs> so. yes, indeed. So yeah, The, cha- uh, the Hallow, good movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, and especially for, you know, the little budget thing that it was, uh, I thought it did a really nice job of kind of marrying the whole folk art thing together. So, yeah. And, you know, unlike some of their movies, it wasn't trying to push boundaries and tell a political statement or anything like that. It was a horror movie, plain and simple. It's monsters, creatures, uh, yep. in the culture clash, you know, our world into theirs, uh, you know, and and you could look at it from a certain point of view that the creatures have been there longer and it's been theirs. We just started taking it from them. So I guess you could say that's a little political from that viewpoint. But, it could uh, be. Yeah. You could also look at the culture clash of someone coming from England from modern society moving into a place of rural place where they actually respect what's there. Yes. And the kind of culture clash that you have there too. They respect the- what's there, but don't ask them to really help you much. No, no. Because, you know. <laughs> People out in the country, we're all a bunch of uh, isolationists who <laughs> like to hunt down city people on the weekend who just happen to be camping <laughs> in our woods or something. Why, why do you think all the farmers have 600-pound hogs? That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, so what's next? Uh, next is absolutely love Ari Aster's Midsummer. Yes, which is a... Bigger name one, uh, at least it was a couple years ago around here. It's been on my list to see, and I have not yet. So, okay, okay. Well, um, I, I look forward to talking about it. Nice, great. All right, there's episode three. It's a wrap. There you go. <laughs> you have been listening to Horror Lasagna. To see all of our seasons and listen to all of the movie reviews with all the themes for each season check out horrorlasagna.com. And if you like the podcast, like the movies and reviews, please give us a like, share with a friend, subscribe to our Facebook page, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, pass it along, let people know, tell us, hey, I liked it. That was a good movie. Thank you. We would appreciate it.
creature slips from perception. Pay attention. It will rise again.